Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that helps you become the kind of advisor people can't help talking about. I'm Julie Littlechild, and today, Steve and I are speaking with Angela D'Angelo, who is the Vice President of Training and Client Experience at National Bank Financial. Now, I have to share that I have learned a great deal from Angela over the years, so I was just thrilled to finally get her on the podcast. She's one of those rare people who is not only a visionary, but can really bring ideas to life. So we talked to Angela about why and when clients refer and how you can tap into that motivation to help drive more referrals in your own business through comfortable conversations that focus on value. And we do a deep dive on the need to structure your team in a way that reflects your client base, something that's helpful for referrals, but also something that we really need to address in this industry as a whole. And with that, let's get straight to the conversation with Angela. Well, Angela, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. Bienvenue, Angela. Thank you. So great to have you here. Um, I've had the pleasure of knowing Angela for for a lot of years and have often thought every time we have a conversation about the industry, I've got to get you on the podcast. So I am thrilled (laughs) to have you here. So, hey, Angela, maybe just could you just start with a little context on your role and, and sort of how you and your team work with advisors? Sure, Julie. So we, uh, we're called the best practices team. So I think that says it pretty much all. Uh, but really, I have a fabulous team who help uh, advisors and their teams every day on, um, you know, structuring and defining their practice. But before we get into those areas, we actually help them adopt the right mindset. Um, And the last couple of years, we've been working with some pretty serious teams on becoming better leaders uh, and, and, and on the team dynamics because, you know, advisors are growing their business at an incredible pace, which requires them to build bigger teams of experts in most cases, uh, you know, adding planners and, and, and tons of experts to really address their client needs. Um, but that means that they have to become better managers of this, these teams. So um, we're often very present in those areas of an advisor's business. Yeah. And I I do want to talk to you about uh, teams in a moment because I know you've done a lot of work in that area. So when you talk about mindset, which is kind of an interesting comment before we even think about growth, is it primarily that leadership piece or are there other elements of mindset that you think advisors need to focus on when they want to grow? Yeah, so leadership is one of the areas. The other mindset is how do you use technology uh, to leverage the client experience because clients are now demanding that. Um, you know, I think of my day to day, I can't live without some of the apps that I use every day. And so our clients in the financial space are also asking for direct access to information. So when your average age of advisors is getting up there uh, because of, you know, the, te- the, the, the nature of our industry, um, then it, it's a harder switch. It's a harder, uh, it's a harder mindset to adopt. Yeah, it's inter- it's an interesting comment because we always think about technology as a skill when I, I think you're right. It starts as a mindset, right, as a, a shift. Um, now, we're I wanted to talk to you, obviously, about referrals and, and becoming referable broadly. But I have to say that we talked about this at one point and you talked about, obviously, your hairdresser because 
that's natural, right? I was, <laughs> would you mind, do you mind if we just start there and, and sharing that story that you shared with me about your, or your hairdresser and why it's just, it was just such a great example. I thought of why and when clients actually refer. Yeah, and it, it might seem like a trivial example, but I think the best examples are the things that we deal with every day that make yeah, a huge yeah. difference in our lives. Sure. Uh, and so for me, you know, I finally 25 years ago found this amazing hairdresser, this guy who just got me. He got my hair. He just got me. And it was an experience. Every time I sat in his chair, it was fun. I looked forward to the appointment. I left uh, feeling good. And I remember saying to him, one day, very shortly after I had met him, I said, if ever you leave and don't call me, I will hire a private detective to find you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he sort of looked at me with this gaze. But the truth is that, you know, when people like something or when they love something, they are prepared to go to great lengths to keep that person, that service or that offer in their life. And that was me. And so, uh, so Angela, what what should people take from that example? How 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 can we translate that into the financial advisor space? So the key is make turn your clients into those advocates make sure they can't live without you just the way that i can't live without my hairdresser and there are so many ways you could do that one is by being yourselves obviously but there's so many things that you could do to turn clients into advocates you know um so be that person that go-to person for those clients and be that person your client would hire that private detective for what do you think, if you think, I, I agree that sometimes these are the examples that are helpful because it reminds us of our own behaviors and our own thought patterns day to day. Um, what was it about, I don't know, was it the way he understood your needs or how you felt or was it the experience? I mean, what made you feel that way about that particular individual? Well, you know, it's funny. It, it wasn't uh any um, technical thing. It wasn't, mm -hmm. uh, you know, while he was really great at, at cutting my hair, it was more that every time he finished, he would say to me how awesome I looked. And he would admire the creation and the work that he did. He was so proud of his own talent. And yeah. so I was proud of him feeling good about me feeling good. And it was a whole exchange of emotional being that, that really drove me uh, to want to go there every time. And I looked forward to that finale, that, that final yeah. moment. So as and we're in that virtual space right now, that finale is really important. And so, Angela, you know, you'd commented before that you felt that the, your hairdresser just really got you, uh, which obviously goes beyond the technical things that they're doing. And how, how might how might an advisor make a client feel like they really got them? Well, it's not staying on the surface. It's going uh, a little deeper in the conversation. So in my case, when I met him, I was recently divorced and um you know, single again. And so looking good was one of my priorities. <laughs> again, one of those examples that, you know, you relate to real life. And he knew that me walking out of there feeling good was critical to my confidence. Mm. It's, you, you mentioned something that's interesting there, and, and I hadn't particularly thought of it. You said, you know, pride in the accomplishment, sort of celebrating accomplishments, which 
I can see with being very relevant to advisors as well, you know, taking those moments to celebrate, to acknowledge what their clients have achieved, uh, which isn't easy, right? I mean, saving, investing, reaching their goals. I wonder if enough advisors, you know, pause and, and actually do celebrate and acknowledge some of those wins along the way as well. Yeah, that's a great point, Julie, because what I tend to see is advisors are still feeling somewhat um, fortunate uh, and, and, and guilty sometimes at, at the, you know, the money that they earn um, and, and being fortunate to be earning that type of, of money. And I think that it, it sort of acts as a, a roadblock to that celebration at times. Mm-hmm. That's it's really interesting. Hey, I wanted to pivot a little, if we could, because uh, and you mentioned leadership right at the at the outset, and I'd love to talk more about team. Now, one of the things that I know you believe is that the the makeup of a team, uh, the the uh, you know who's on the team is is a really important part of being referable. And you've talked about diversity and gender and what that team looks like. Can you just give us an overview of your thinking on on team and becoming referable? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we really believe in is is voice of client. And I still remember one day uh, an advisor running down the hall to show all, all proud about showing me their new brochure. And the picture, the front page of the brochure was a picture of the team. And he says, look, look at our new brochure. And I said, that's fabulous. That's a great looking picture. And he says, yeah, but our clients are starting to say that we don't have any women on our team. And so, you know, you have to build your offer around the client of the future and the client of the future are mostly women because they inherit from their parents, they'll inherit from their husbands because they outlive them and they contribute to their own patrimony because 63% of Canadian women today work. So the truth is, you know, what we try to, um, to help advisors in in their leadership and in building the right team, what we promote is building multi-gender, multi-competency, and multi-generational teams. If you get those three things right on your team, then you're set for the future client. So say that again, multi-competency, gender, and and generational, and generational. So looking at all three, it's it's funny you mentioned the voice of the client because Steve and I are obviously very big advocates of that. But in a way, we're talking about the, the face of the client, not just the voice of the client, right? Like truly seeing themselves in your team and being and seeing it as representative. Is that fair? Absolutely. Clients will um, react and, and hopefully you're giving them a form to be able to do that. And, and so Angela, how could an advisor... Um, pursue that goal? How, 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 how can an advisor work on, on developing that team? Well, first it's picking the right to, for, you know, we always, advisors have a, had a tendency of picking talent because they had a great conversation with the person. And what we try to get them to do differently is to look at the offer where they are today, where they want to be in terms of the offer they want to provide their clients. And if in that offer there are gaps and in that team there are competencies 
to fulfill those gaps, then what we help them do is find the right profile or build the right profile to hire that person so that they fill that gap. We're not trying to find people who are like uh, alike. We're trying to find people on a team that will fulfill the gaps to provide a better offer to clients. So for example, if I'm a great advisor and I have good success and I'm really good at business development, but I hate estate planning and I hate financial planning and I'm not going to go out and get my license, then you know what? It's definitely somewhere and something I want to offer my clients. I might hire an expert in that field. Well, and, and, and beyond that, too, I mean, you, you, you made a really important point um, that um, when people when people hire so often, it's, um, you know, you you feel like you have good chemistry with somebody, you feel like you had a good interview with somebody. And, and, and my suspicion is, if I extend what you're saying, is that, you know, that leads us to hiring people that we get along with, hiring people that are like us. And, um, and so you're talking here about higher, you know, mapping out first the set of skills, which I, you know, which, which is, um, you know, an important first step, but then how would you incorporate things like, um, gender diversity and age diversity and those kinds of things in, into that process as well? So we're not just hiring more copies of ourselves. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's always uh, a little trickier. Um, you know, biases play a big role. I, we're all, I, I even have biases. And companies have started, <clears throat> started to do a good job at uh, identifying some of those biases and making people more aware of them. Uh, but the truth is, I, w- I believe the best hires are not hires that are made uniquely by an individual interviewing them. I think you need to have a small group, a subset of individuals interviewing the people that you want to hire uh, so that you have a more, um, you know, a more diversified opinion about the candidate fitting into the team. So that's how we've been uh, able to countervene and to make better hires. Do you, what do you say to advisory teams who would say, well, you know, I hire the best person for the role. And it might be man, it might be woman, it might be older, it might be younger. Um, I think what you're talking about is, is, and correct me if I'm wrong, sort of acknowledging that, that this kind of diversity is, is important in order to attract the right clients and do the right thing for our clients and that we need to, to perhaps behave differently. Absolutely. And I don't question people's genuine intention, Mm -hmm. uh, but there are things, processes, things you could put in place to make sure that you're not falling into the sand traps. So how, how would someone go about that? Again, I, I, I would um, I would definitely set up a, a committee of people to interview candidates, and I would probably want to be the last one to interview them if I was the hiring manager or the hiring advisor. Um, you know, some companies have, are, are going really far now. They're removing names on CVs to remove gender biases. Um, I think it'll take a long time before companies start doing that 100%. But those are ways and, and, and areas that, that can be explored. Um, but at the end of the day, we are a people business. So chemistry plays a big part in everything we do. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think there's a little bit of all of that. But, um, but certainly the committee for me has been a huge benefit in, in the hires. 
How, how can an advisor um, put together a committee that might assist that? I'm thinking, you know, if if the, the ch- if one of the challenges is that, you know, the, the financial business is, is too much middle-aged white guys, um, that if we put a committee of our team together, we're going to have a committee that's a lot of middle-aged white guys, and we want to get past that. So, you know, is are there ways, if, if you find yourself in that position where you, where you need more diversity in your firm, are there ways that you can... How, how, do, how do you overcome the, yeah. the, just the demographics of the population you've got internally? So I practice what I preach. And what we preach is multi-gender, multi-competency, multi-generational. And that applies for the committee as well. So even if you have to go outside of your team to find others? Absolutely. Uh, okay, yeah. Interesting. And, and so, you know, we focus obviously on, on becoming more referable. How do you think structuring the right team with those uh, with the, with gender, age and, and competency makes advisors more referable? I think clients notice. So by itself, it becomes, you know, a natural uh, thing. Um, anytime a client notices these things, anytime a client sees, um, you know, the agility, the um, competency among these team members, you become referable by nature. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When we think uh, more broadly about referrals, Angela, where do you think, you know, what do you think advisors are doing right and maybe wrong when it comes to generating referrals? Interesting. So, um, I think what they're doing right is they know they should be asking for referrals, but I don't think they're comfortable asking for referrals. Um, I think we we need to get them more comfortable in asking for referrals. Um, that's an area I think a lot of advisors need help with. I, how, I'm going to let Steve jump in there because he <laughs> don't want me to do that. For, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be nice to our guests. No, it's usually um, semantics. I find. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So we, we, we have, so we have, we've had a number of, of guests, Angela, who advocate um, asking some way or another. And we've had a bunch of guests uh, who, you know, advocate a different approach. That's not, um, that's not as direct as asking for referrals. So, can you sort of set up for us, you know, the, the, the scenario, what, how, what, would the, what would the circumstances be um, for asking for a referral and, and how, how would you propose that uh, advisors most productively approach that? Yeah, so there are different schools of, of, of asking for referrals. Um, I personally like to create a connection with the ask. And for me, the, the ask goes along the way of, how am I doing? We've been working together for the last year. How would you describe how I've been able to add knowledge, insight, and value to your family? What would you say are some of the areas that you felt I did really well for you this year? So anytime you get a client and ask them to express themselves on how you've done means that you're also understanding the value that you've brought and whether or not that value was actually received properly. So when a client is talking on those items, guess what they're thinking? I want to help my advisor. 
I want my advisor to have more success because he or she is awesome. Just like my hairdresser. When my hairdresser created that emotional connection with me and at the end of every seance said to me, you look fabulous. He created that moment in me that made me want to recommend him to everybody. That's my take on asking for referrals. Do you, so one of the things that we talk to advisors a lot about is the idea of helping clients to kind of write their own referral script. And it's interesting. So you, the, the, the conversation, the tactics, not dissimilar, the, the focus is, is slightly different, um, which is about how, how have we done? Do you think it's, that equally some of those questions could be about the impact um, of working with the advisor to help them, so to, you know, to help clients think about people that might also need that advisor. Because if you see what I'm saying, they could go down two paths. How have I done? Or what's the impact been on you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and creating that conversation, it's less about the form of asking for a referral and more about the feeling of asking for a referral. Yeah, because even if you're not to, to, to beat the hairdresser example too much, but I think it's a good one, um, I could imagine uh, two, two responses to this experience. One is, you've made me feel so great, I want to help you build your business or you've made me feel so great, I want other people I know to have that same feeling, right? And it's a subtle difference, but it kind of takes you down two different paths almost. Because absolutely, because you know what? In my mind, he didn't need my referral. Right. Because he's busy all the time. And most of the, most clients probably think that advisors aren't open to taking new business. That could yeah. be the impression we sometimes give. Yeah. But what I wanted is more, I want more of my friends to get a, a sense of what I go through. Right and, right. and I hope you can make room for them. Yeah. And so uh, what are some good ways of communicating that to, to clients about, you know, if, if their assumption is that, you know, you're, you're so busy, you're not taking new folks on, are there, are there skillful ways that advisors can communicate to clients that they would like to receive referrals? Yeah, so it goes down to uh, creating that, um, you know, I call it that uh, feeling of I can't do this without you um, approach. And I go back to my basic question. It's, you know, what have I done well? And, you know, can you describe to me where you think I've had the most impact on your family? Family is a really big element for people. They could talk for hours when you ask that question. And, so you know, why do, Sorry, go ahead. And, and why do you think I do this differently? You know, I would imagine that, you know, your your friends who have advisors uh, must get the same thing. Oh, no, we talk and uh, that's not what they're getting. Or, you know, it's just creating the conversation. It'll naturally turn into a referral. And so naturally you're saying, you know, by having that conversation, you're letting clients know you're open for business, so to speak, that you yeah. welcome that kind of thing. Um, you also talk about uh, starting with a really deep understanding of why clients would refer. I, I mean, how do you think, I mean, is it, and you've talked about this conversation, is that the process you would recommend to gain that deep, deeper understanding or, or are there other conversations that they should be having? 
Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I believe uh, any time you walk into a meeting on the client, you know, on the client's agenda is where you'll walk away with your client feeling the best. Um, now, I think as experts, as advisors, we need to be uh, leading some of the topics and some of the themes that we want to talk about. But one of the things we did in our firm is we um, launched the Voice of Client uh, survey. Um, thanks to you, Julie. And uh, we, we are making such strides with that. I mean, um, the response rate is so amazing and it allows us to get really granular with the expectations of clients. And so what it does is it allows advisors to actually build the agenda for their meeting and subsequent meetings around what the client wants to talk about. The advisor still struggles with feeling like they're being paid to be the expert. The client is not paying them um, not to be the expert. And so uh, anytime it's a bottom-up approach could feel that way sometimes for advisors. But what I encourage is you could still be the expert, but just drive that expertise through the agenda of the client. What, what are some of the most uh, significant or interesting things that you're learning from that voice of the client project that you're working on? You know, um, it's incredible how, you know, you always have this sort of feud between the banking and the advisors, uh, thinking that, you know, they're paid to give investment advice, not banking advice. Looking at both sides of the balance sheet is really important for clients, and it comes up time after time in, in, in the responses in the survey. Clients want to know more about, um, you know, uh, dealing perhaps with the private banking division of your firm. They want to know about uh, having, um, getting a mortgage, perhaps for a second property or for their own property. Yet, you know, advisors don't feel like they should play a role in, in you know, the lending side or the other side of the balance sheet. That surprises me every time. The other place that I'm very surprised is holding a family meeting. You know, I come back to the response rate around that one is always huge. Clients want their, they, they want to tie things, they want to tie a knot around everything around their life. And should they pass away, they want to know that their kids know who their advisor is, what how they worked hard for their money and how they would like it to be distributed. It's, it's often, the advisor often is afraid of having that family meeting, feeling that they have to divulge the sums of money the parent has, but that's not the case. Having the family meeting just means being a conduit for your clients to their kids so that they could have the conversation about what they would see as an ideal distribution um, at death. It doesn't have to include numbers. And if we pick up on that, and, and I had wanted to ask you sort of broadly about becoming referable and the other aspects of the experience, and I think this is one of them, right? The idea of, of really focusing across generations. Um, what are some of the obstacles in the minds of advisors to having those kinds of meetings? It seems to me it's, it's kind of a big leap for, for many. Again, it's it's one of those soft conversations. Um, it's one of those conversations that doesn't 
you know, include um, the expertise of the advisor. And my take is when an advisor feels uncomfortable, just like, you know, maybe providing uh, insurance through their offer to their clients. If you don't, and human nature, not just advisors, when you don't feel comfortable uh, in a matter, in a topic, in a theme, you're, you're just not going to offer it. You're going to take the, the road less traveled. Uh, but these are the important issues on clients' minds. So my advice is figure it out. And if it's not you having that conversation, pick the right team member with the right competency to be a part of your team to have it. It sounds like a number of paths that we've gone down have led to a different form of conversation, right? You know, when we talked about referrals, we talk about other opportunities, about the family. Is this uh, an area, is this a soft skill uh, area that you think advisors need to be working on? Uh, Absolutely. One of the things advisors do really well is they're very close to their clients. Mm Um, they, you know, the, the, the length of time clients stay with advisors in the full service industry is very high. Um, so they already have that advantage. If they could just find the courage to go a little deeper and connect a little bit more emotionally with the client and stay on the client's agenda, um, wow, it would just probably uh, create huge advocates and it would open the the taps to referring. Angela, do you have a a suggestion uh, or two beyond the, um, that conversation you were just describing about the next generation? Are there other kinds of conversations you can describe that would, um, that would help them drive that deeper and uh, like you're suggesting? Yeah. So, um, you know, I give a lot of conferences, um, to uh, women investors mostly, because women investors are, are, are not engaged enough. Only one in four women are actually engaged in making financial planning decisions, uh, which, which has a huge impact on their retirement. Uh, so when I give these conferences, you know, at the time where we used to give them live, I always had a couple of women huddle at the end and come up to me uh, and say to me, boy, I wish my daughter would have been here tonight. I really wish she could have heard everything you said because she's one of the ones that you um, <clears throat> use in your example of how the next generation of young women is delegating financial planning decisions more and more. So that's a trend we need to reverse. And uh, and so I say to advisors, if you want to connect deeper with your clients, stay on stay on their family, stay on engaging the spouse or the woman in the couple um, in in being more engaged in making these planning decisions, stay on having the family meeting, stay on um, engaging the young uh, adults in the family in understanding and being more engaged with their money. Those would be some of the areas I'd explore. So is that a, an educational approach that you'd advocate and that it providing resources or Uh, You know, I mean, have you seen particularly good examples of advisors connecting with the next generation, even before they are prospective clients for them? Yeah, so... um you know, before their prospective clients for them, they'll usually try to, uh, now they're doing a lot more virtual uh, meetings um, and uh, they're including uh, different generations. But yeah, advisors are attempting to get closer to the next generation and the children of their clients because they know it's important. And the ones that try it, 
Um, I still think we could increase the speed of that happening, but the ones that have tried it always feel compelled to call me, to tell me, because it's Hmm. been such a positive experience. Right, right. So for advisors, uh, just sort of to wrap things up, uh, that are thinking about growth through referrals, we've talked about a number of different things today. Where do you think they should start? What's that first thing that you like to recommend? I think they should do a survey. I think they should hear out their clients, figure out what the client wants. Um, and I think they um, they need to build their client meeting around that uh, insight um, and make it more personalized. That's where they're going to uh, really um, naturally add value uh, is if they're working on what the client wants. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to have you here. And uh, uh, it was a a real pleasure hearing from you today. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Steve. Pleasure. Hey, folks, Steve again. Thanks for joining us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. So until next time, so long.